Hello and welcome to another episode of the EduInc podcast. Today in the studio we've got EduInc Headmaster Gershom Aitchison and Executive Head Jax Aitchison. And joining us all the way from Stellenbosch is Professor Jonathan Jansen. Welcome everyone. Thanks, thanks for having us, yeah. Hey, how are you? I've been sharing all the conversations you've had with Carmen and, and John Vlismus and uh, Richard Wright and those conversations with them, and they're really fascinated and, and dying for an opportunity to speak to you about some of the stuff. And uh, sure. the turmoil we've had over the last couple of weeks have really presented an opportunity just to hopefully share some thoughts with you and, and get some inspiration and some ideas from you. Perhaps touch on some of the things that are on your mind that we can take the conversation to. Sorry, man. I just come from like a dozen webinars on everything from climate change <laughs> to uh, include the SGGs. So tell me, tell, give me a little bit of a run up. So for us, it's education. You know, we have a, a very small independent school. And I've been reading your articles fastidiously for years on education because it's just, it's such a mammoth mountain in South Africa. And, you know, where do you even start? Where do you start the conversations? And, um, yeah, just putting out, I put out an article last week on, on the shambolic start to 2021 and the impact that that's having. And, and my feeling just being that the politicized nature of what's going on feels like it's it's really... When we should be talking about COVID and safety, there seems to be a political agenda at work that's clouding this issue. And, uh, you know, my fear is that we're not having the right conversations with the right people at the right times because we, we're actually just using grandstanding tactics and we, we're using COVID as a bit of a soapbox to get other points across that are actually far more long-term in nature and far bigger conversations. You know, I read your article that, that you put out this morning. It's when you said you're tearing your hair out. Where do we go with all of this? You know, independent schools are, we are small. We are less than 2,000. And yet we can have some impact if we get certain things right. You know, um, in talking to Gavin earlier today, he made a great analogy. He said, you know, it feels a little bit like Dunkirk. Where do we sit on the sidelines and wait for the government to build one big ship that can evacuate all the allies from Dunkirk? Or do we see ourselves as independent schools as the little boats that go over and do everything that they can while they can with the resources that they have? Um, it's just difficult to do that when you're feeling quite unsupported and, and when we don't have the strong leadership that we need. In the original mail that I sent you, I did actually, um, you know, we have, we've met once very briefly before. My husband Gershom and I, we were at one of your talks and, and a book signing that you did. We were going to set up time for you to come and visit, but we just couldn't get it together at the end there. Um, it's, yeah. a, it's a very small school, um, and we deliberately built this model. My husband Gershom was a, he's a Drakis Boys Choir alumni, and it's a similar model to that, where you keep your classes very, very small. So we take a max of 10, because the entire premise of, of how we educate is based on relationships, building relationships with the children so that, that to facilitate really building whole child in the truest sense of building whole child, not just a marketing sense of building whole child. We expose them to things that they wouldn't normally have exposure to. That's very important to us. So we collaborate with uh, Lego education from on global levels. For example, we test market a lot of their kids' um, educational Lego. We're a TED registered school, so our kids go through learning how to give TED talks. Essentially, what we're trying to build is the type of 
person who leaves matric with more than just that thin line of marks across the top of the page. You know, we need we need a lot more depth to that person. When they leave our school, we've done our jobs right. If the first time they're in varsity and they get presented with something challenging, they don't throw their hands in the air saying, oh, well, I was never taught that. I can't do that. They actually think to themselves, okay, well, what skills do I have? What resources can I employ? What can I tap into here? Then we've done our job right. So that's the type of school that we have, and that's what we build. We run from grade four to metric, and we write the IEB exams in metric. So uh, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, you've got upwards of 26,000 schools in the country. Uh, About 80% of those schools are not functional Mm -hmm. at the level one would regard as delivering effective results uh, for all children. And so a relatively small number of our schools work well, and those are also the schools that by and large had uninterrupted education since the March uh, lockdown in 2020 and the opening in May. So those schools don't bother me that much. Um, Much of my energy is concerned with the schools that don't work. And unfortunately, to turn around those schools, you do need a government because the problem is systemic. It's not simply, you know, because all of us, uh, I I work with any number of NGOs and a lot of voluntary work, which I'm sure the husband do as well. And, you know, but we like, you know, the, the chief with the finger in the, the diet in, in yeah. knowledge. You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. To keep things at bay. And those important roles, and, and I'll talk about your school in a minute, but in the context, in the big picture setup, you really do need a government. And that is why I fight uh, with both my hands on the one hand, uh, as you saw today as well, yeah. I'm highly critical of the corruption and the incompetence. Yeah. There's nothing worse than having those two ills in the same room. Absolutely. Which is corruption and incompetence. You know, yeah. if you're just corrupt, but, but you're doing a reasonable job, like the Zimbabwean government, you can still <laughs> run, seriously, you can still run reasonably effective uh, schools, you know. But if you're incompetent and, and non-corrupt, everybody smiles, but you're not getting the results. Yeah. And, and that's not good either. We've got both those dilemmas mm-hmm. and both those afflictions. And it's not just schools. You see it in the hospital system. You see yeah. it now in the mismanagement of COVID uh, vaccines and all of that. So what is the role of the individual school? And yeah, I really, I wish I had more space in last week's column because I wanted to talk about the schools that have made a lasting impression on the country, schools like St. Barnabas, yeah. you know, in the 90, early 90s, before we even had democracy, or schools like uh, Sacred Heart. I mean, I can go down the line. Uh, schools here, like this one, unfortunately, they're quite expensive, but one yeah. in Cape Town and Kenilworth, opposite the race course, the unbelievable uh, schools, public schools, like, like Ann Morton's, uh, mm-hmm. Red School in Pinelands. These are schools that, despite what's happening around them, public and private, you know, are schools that say, look, in the space that we occupy, in the ecology that we inhabit, we are going to make a major difference. Now, what is their major difference? Their major difference is that every single year they take in a new cohort of kids, they graduate another bunch of kids. And so over a period of 10 years, you can mm. make a major impact yeah. on the system, yeah. even though you won school. 
And what do those schools do? They do two things at the same time. They, on the one hand, place the traditional emphasis on you know, academic results. And most private schools, most independent schools do that fairly well. Yeah. You know? um, they, the math and science results are up. You know, the, the, there's uh, drama, arts and music. There's um, you know, a, a computer lab. There's, they yeah. have all these things in place. But most of those schools, certainly in the book that we just completed last year on admissions policies of schools that I did with one of my doctoral students, uh, they do a lousy job, a lousy job of the other part of our commitment, and that is how to teach young people to be decent oh, absolutely. In, a, in a dangerous world. And so I look for schools that do both those things. On the one hand, giving the kids a solid academic education, yeah. On the other hand, teaching them how to be generous yeah. when they're giving, teaching them how to be comfortable in their relationships with people who don't yeah. look like them or, or pray like mm-hmm. them or speak their language. And when you have a school that gives you those two things in combination, then you are making a difference in a way that this country desperately needs in all nine provinces. So don't give up on your initiative. Don't give up on what you do. Just make sure that the children coming out of that school are countercultural, by which I mean that they understand the difference between their money and other people's money. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) You know, I remember years ago you wrote, um, in fact, I used it in one of my matric English lessons. You had written an article on kids coming out of school and you'd say to them if you're a white child sitting in a private school and you get into varsity Mm. go and have a date with somebody of another color even if you just go out for dinner and have a conversation and you said if you're christian just go and attend a few other church services you know go to a shul go to a temple go and just expose yourself to it go and learn see experience and that's the type of conversation that we have with our children because surely that's part of becoming the decent human being, just becoming aware of this world around you instead of just your own little microcosm. You know, Gershom, the headmaster, often says that one of his measures of success, where we ask ourselves, are we doing this right? His measure of success is, do I want to have a cup of coffee with this person three, five, ten years from now? Because if I do want to have a cup of coffee with them, we've done our jobs well. We've created decent human beings who are giving, who are giving of their time, giving of themselves, who are aware of their communities. They're not people who are just running off and and they're being mercenary and looking after themselves, you know. So I absolutely 100% agree that it's a huge part of our social responsibility in producing decent human beings. There's so much more to a person than just that line of academics. And we are responsible for impacting all of that because of the amount of hours we spend every day in the company of these young people. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, you're absolutely right. And, and the truth is, you know, and, and I've worked in hard places. I really have worked in difficult places, uh, like the University of the Free State, where, mm-hmm. and the University of Pretoria, by the way, uh, where I was dean and vice chancellor later. And, and the one thing I can tell you is that if you have that broad focus mm-hmm. on both what we call the, the free state, the academic project, but also the human project, mm-hmm. young people are responsive to that. Yes, yes absolutely. they tend to think they know everything at the age of 18. But <laughs> <laughs> so did we all. <laughs> yeah, we all did. We all came down, down that road, right? 
and and so on. But I find that you can actually get across your message, yeah. especially if you balance your words with your life. Yeah. If they can see that in the way you relate to other people who don't look like you or come from yes. where you do or uh, whose parents earn as much money as you do exactly. and so on, yeah. if they have a sense of that level of, of decency you know, sure. and generosity mm. and, and so on, kids come on board. I have seen like some of the hard nuts from the yeah. rural fleece. They do only know black people in subservient mm-hmm. positions on their father's farms. Sure. And I've seen those kids turn like that, yeah. you know. Because they know that's not the real world. Mm-hmm. They know that in the 21st century, you are more likely to work for Deloitte and Tushin Valley or you know, Absolutely. in Sydney or and so on than you are to simply be a, 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 you know, a micro image of your father or mother. Sure. Yeah. And the kids know that. They know the game is up. They know the world has changed. And that's why we expose them as, you know, fairly early on to, to the rest of the world. Yeah. That, I think, is the value of independence because I'm a child of public schools. I yeah. send my both, my wife and I send our kids to public schools. We love the idea of a public, of a good public school. Yes. But I also like the idea of parents who are able to say, you know what, we want to have a faith-based school for our child yeah. or yes. we want to homeschool our kid or we want to, you know, provided the motivation is correct, yes. you know, I mean, I know of homeschool parents in Pretoria, for example, who, who pulled out their kids when democracy came because they didn't want their kids sitting next to black kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there's no way you can spin that differently, no. you know. No. Or you want a sort of Afrikaner Calvinist education for your kid. You want to do that, you know, narrowness, then go ahead. But yep. I'm talking about parents who can homeschool their kids in an open environment in which the children learn from them, but also learn with others. And remember, education isn't only what happens in school. You Definitely. Know, it's a partnership. Happens, it's an yes, absolute partnership, in, in, yeah? Yeah, no, it is, it is. So so the, the spirit of the independent schools for me is what, what attracted me in the 1970s already and the 1980s mm. to schools, by the way, the very first schools to be integrated in South Africa were actually the Catholic schools in South Africa. You know? yeah. The church uh, schools again, yeah. Where the, yeah, remember that's where the Mandalas went and the Masakelos right. yeah. and, and, and these kind of people. So there's a wonderful spirit that comes with independence, you know, from the state that I think gives you uh, room yes. to do more for schools and communities and so on and so forth. So, so that's the challenge, you know, and once this uh, pandemic is behind us, I definitely want to come into your school because, you know, the thing about schools, having now studied schools all my life, <laughs> is that I can, within 20 minutes, give you, you know, just by walking through a school, get yeah, a sense yeah. of, of its culture and its community and its, yeah. and its message yeah. and its mission and so on, and I'd love to do that with you. Oh, we'd love to have you. That would be incredible. I think um, a question for you, Prof, if you don't mind. In the spirit of what you've spoken about, the legacy of private schools in the acceptance and the mm. tolerance and leading the way when it comes to cultural transformation in some ways, mm. you know, we feel like we're in the same space at the moment when it comes to this pandemic and dealing with the challenges that come with this pandemic. And at the same mm. time, we're getting opposition from the powers that be because we're forging ahead in the interests of the students and not in the interests of a political agenda, 
when when fingers are waving at us, we're still going, well, we don't really care. We're about the students. We're about educating the children. Mm. Mm. And I think that came out very clearly in your article that we read last week and, and, and was echoed in Jax's article that she put out. Do you have any comments on that? Look, uh, as I said, you know, the reason the government at the moment, and particularly elites, are disturbed by the private schools, the independent schools, is because they're doing so well. Okay. Yeah. And so now they make an issue of when you're reopening. Who cares? You know, exactly. I mean, the reopening debate has gone back and forth yeah. in the public sector for, for, for two years. Uh, well, more than a year. So that's not the issue. The issue mm. is the discomfort they feel and should yeah. feel. Yeah. That ordinary uh, independent, remember, not all independent schools are, are wealthy. <laughs> Definitely. Bishops type schools where yeah. you pay a million a year. Yeah, yeah, no, for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> to keep Most schools are not like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the independent, in fact, a lot of independent schools actually struggle financially, you know, uh, just to, to keep their doors open, yeah. particularly as parents uh, can't afford to pay. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about keeping your focus on your mission, okay? And your mission is to give a good academic education that is balanced against the basic values uh, mm. in, in our local and, and global communities. Then you do that regardless of what they say, okay? Mm. Because those critical voices will come and go. Also, bear in mind that, that the, the, the new elites have a vested interest in having good schools. <laughs> Because so, <laughs> so, so, that's where their children go. Exactly. So Ramaphosa's kids go to St. Stithians. Yes. My friend, Lady Pando, sends her kids to Bishops and Herschel. You know, I well, mean, I have to say, not, Prof, I did, I did wonder when I read the article that the MPs had all yeah. called for a, a, an aligned calendar. <laughs> I had to mm. laugh because I thought, how many of those MPs' kids are going to private schools? <laughs> Listen, you go into that MP. You're doing analysis of where members of parliament send their kids. Not a single one send their kids to township schools or yeah. to schools in which the 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 language is not English, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But 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 remember, this is typical of class elites anywhere in, yeah. in, in the world. In, in the world, is they pretend to be for you know a more egalitarian society when their own choices, you know are exactly the opposite. So I wouldn't yeah. worry too much about that. What I would worry about is making sure that your your credentials are impeccable mm. when it comes to both a sense of academic mission but also a sense of social responsibility. Yeah. And once your own nose is clean, if you know what I mean, <laughs> the, there is absolutely nothing that anybody can say except yes. to laud you, except to point you out as an example. So I've always said to the independent schools, even if you're not a wealthy independent school, okay, if if your school is doing really, really well and you're able to get by, talk about what your three or four or five projects are mm-hmm. in which you reach out to schools uh, that are not as well endowed. So the other day I spoke at the Bishop's Old Boys, mm-hmm. which is quite a thing. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen so many rich people uh, outside, of, <laughs> outside of Stellenbosch, you know, but, where I um, but uh, I said to them, listen, I, I don't want you guys to, you know, get your, you know, um, what is that English expression? 
uh, in a knot. Because what yeah. I want you to see, yeah, yeah, I know. I just as I thought about it, I thought it might be inappropriate. But um, the I said to them, here you are, a whole lot of really wealthy men, black and white. Okay, stop wringing your hands about what you can do for transformation. I can tell you very simply what you can do. And right next to me was Raymond Ackerman. You know, okay. Guy. Yeah. And I said, you know what you're asking me is if you said, okay, we take in uh, 200 new boys in grade 8 every single year. Yeah. You know what? We're going to commit to making sure that of those 200 boys, starting next year, 40 of them will come in fully covered for both a hostel and mission yeah. as a result of a scholarship scheme that we set up. You do yes. that and you begin to change the complexion of what uh, uh, your graduates will look like now. Exactly. You know, it's, it's tough, of course. It's very hard to take a smart kid from Kursak and Kailich and put them in the super duper wealthy school. But I say you're never going to get around it. No, around you're not. This, uh, mm. Unless you open up access, use your resources to do that. You know, the, what, what's bishops, for example? I'm just using that school because it's close to my heart. I, I really believe there's some good men and women they want to change our situation. What's bishops from taking a school in a township and saying, we're going to work with you as our partner school and make yes. sure that whatever we are able to offer in online learning, we are going to make sure that you have the data and devices and connectivity mm. to do the same thing. Exactly. It won't even make a dent in their budget, to be honest with you, mm. you know, uh, etc. Do the kinds of things that open opportunities, open up opportunities for more people to participate. Yeah. Uh, what stops bishops, for example, and again, you can take any number of schools in the country, and that says, you know what, we're going to create, and this is something that Alan Clark and I have been talking about doing, but to set up a master class program uh, for teachers who will become master teachers. I'm sure there's a more gender friendly word than master, but they're going to become the top master teachers in languages and mathematics and science yeah. Yeah. and the dramatic arts and so on and so forth. What stops you from setting that up and making your school the base for that? You know, yeah. I just think there's so much selfishness and self-centeredness, oh, yeah. you know, and inward-looking and so on. So, you know, I, I, and I would tell them, I said, look, I, I do probably like half my salary away every single month. You know, as a professor, we don't yeah. have that much money, but <laughs> I give it away. And to make sure that people who can't afford a good education, that schools like down the road in Elsie's Manga, who can't feed the children during yeah. lockdown. That's where I put my personal resources, you know, yeah. in order to make a difference. Now, imagine if you're wealthy <laughs> and you had a school and you had a board like these fancy schools, how much more of a difference you can make. And then I use my energy. I use the little skills, the few skills that God gave me to make sure that I use it to benefit others, you know. So I think a lot of South Africans do that. I think there's a lot of people in the NPO sector that really do that. In fact, as I said uh, last night in a program in the Netherlands, I said, you know, if you collapse the NPO sector in South Africa, this country will disappear overnight. That's right. Okay? Yeah, yeah. We're under the illusion that government runs this country. <laughs> Actually, it's a whole lot of ordinary people that do it. Exactly. And so on. So let's do more of that. You know, to, to, I call that, as you know, from my writings, the, the moral underground, the people mm -hmm. that we don't see, exactly. that keep things together, you know. And that's my encouragement to your school. Let's do our primary job well, mm. which is to, as I said, the academic and the social. 
And then let's make sure that the broader impact of the school is such that people have no doubt that this is a school that leverages its relative advantage Mm -hmm. in the interests of the broader community. That would be my biggest strong advice. You know, Prof, we were actually having this conversation, a similar conversation this morning when we were reading your article and the ones just, how did you phrase, our effervescent MEC. I did particularly enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) And the money, the 430 million that is now just, you know, he's bewildered about. And we were saying, you know, we have, what, between 1,700, 1,800, whatever it is, independent schools. What if, what if, if we went into the magic wand moment where the the independent schools, as you're saying, these schools with facilities and resources and inclination and desire, what if they had that money instead? What, Hmm. just think what we could have achieved Hmm. with that. Because, Hmm. I mean, what are we fundamentally trying to do? We are trying to produce children or people Hmm. who can, we can put into corporate Hmm. governance ethically, put into Hmm. government itself ethically, you know, Hmm. people who will lead from a premise of service, that's what we're trying to produce. So imagine, and, and you're 100% right in saying that most of us are not big budget schools. A, school's like, a school like no. ours is tiny. So, I mean, the model is too small for anyone to ever get rich off. There's not a whole lot of money going spare there. So mm. imagine we had access to resources to develop mm. more of that to just do more of what we're already doing. It's such an exciting prospect. Even if I think mm. about where we're moving in the hybrid space. You know, our big investment this year is truly hybrid classrooms, which is, in other words, replicating in whatever Mm. scenario is presented that the kids have a classroom experience, a proper classroom experience, even if they're sitting at home or the teacher's at home or Mm. whatever gets thrown at us next. Just imagine we had a scenario where we had a partner school who had appropriate infrastructure, who could piggyback off our lessons, mm. who when the teacher didn't arrive that day, the school head could say, oh, well, that's, you know, it's not convenient, but we'll just piggyback mm. onto edging today. Or there was a teacher who teaches one particular lesson really, really well, and you could just tune in for that lesson and get real best practice. Mm. Imagine that world. And I, for me, it's, it seems really doable. And it's where we can really partner with our less privileged schools um, but I, I also really love your, your idea of, of masterclasses for teachers, because if mm. we can uplift there and upskill mm. there, we're also making another massive impact. You know, the, the 400 million odd is a staggering amount of money. You know, you talk about 28,000 schools. If each school got a million rand, which is 28 million rand in terms of tech and fiber, we suddenly can have an entire population online and being taught and having access to education. But instead, we focused on spending over 400 million on cleaning rooms that no one was actually empty attending. Rooms. Yeah, empty rooms. It, mm. It's staggering. It's I'm sorry. I'm just I'm reflecting. Deep, deep cleaning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's staggering. I'm sorry. I'm just reflecting on that amount of money and what could have been done with it. Anyway, it's gone. And you remember, that's just one part of the corruption puzzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Think of all the other... Uh, yeah, think of what Zuma got paid through state security, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just one scandal upon the next. And yeah. unfortunately, there's no consequences. For well, I feel that we have a choice. You know, we, we do have a choice. We can either become completely overwhelmed by how insurmountable it feels to be dealing with all of that, or we can ask ourselves the question, well, what can my little ripple be? 
what can that be? And, yeah. and I think we have to focus there because otherwise, yeah. how do we survive it? No, no, absolutely. And, and that is, I don't believe your school is too small to have a big impact, a massive impact. And first of all, through, through the children that you teach and educate. You know, I like the Afrikaans word for education, which is, uh, you know, the, the narrower word, opleiden, you know, opfuden. Opfuden, mm-hmm. you know, sort of to raise you up, you know. Yes. And just imagine, I mean, I, I can just, uh, in my new book, which is called Learning Lessons, each of the 10 lessons I link to one kid, uh, one student that I have uh, been privileged to, to lead, you know, in different parts of the country. And each one of them has gone on to make a massive impact. Yeah. That's just 10 kids, yeah. you know. Imagine you've got 100. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You've got 200. Uh, then it and, becomes and very also, exciting, yeah. And, and um, man, I tell you, you can, you can do this, you know, because... I mean, just a simple thing, like developing in each child, which is what happened yeah. to me in a, in yeah. a fairly ordinary school, just developing in each child a sense of what they can do, a sense of their enormous potential. Yes. Uh, or what I call in the book, just this message I give everywhere I go in the world, actually, that yeah. you're smarter than you think. You yeah. really are much smarter yeah. than your own mind sometimes tells you. And that in and of itself is, can be such an encouragement, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so on. But I just want to go back to the non-state sector, if you will. I'm only beginning to realize what a powerful impact one man has on this notion of giving. And that is this organization called Gift of the Givers. Yes. Now, I, you know, I, I grew up in a, <laughs> in a very narrow evangelical fundamentalist, uh, you know, uh, and church and my parents blessed their souls, you know, made sure that all of us memorized half the Bible and that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, MTS Suleiman, our gift of the givers, I landed in trouble with a lot of my Christian friends because I made the, the factual point that over the Christmas period, this organization did more for feeding yeah. <laughs> you know, hungry Christians <laughs> than all the churches combined, you know. And I thought to myself, and yet his, his focus is not on the Muslim community, his focus is not on a faith community, his focus is on poverty, his focus yeah. is on believing hunger, his focus is on negotiating uh, the freedom of people held up by terrorist groups. Yeah. You know, he works throughout the content, but have you heard in the, in the 20 years? Of Gift of the Givers, one scandal about one cent. Yeah. Okay, yeah. nothing because yeah. of the integrity of the group. So I mentioned MTS only because for every MTS uh, swimmer, there is, you know, a Kuni Naidu from who worked for this international group. There is a, on, on the environment, there is a Ria Manson who just took a bunch of kids to Antarctica. Uh, I can just give you a list of this. You guys, you know. And so don't underestimate the cumulative value of all of us doing uh, this kind of work in our corner of the vineyard. It does make a difference. I remember listening to Clem Sunter years ago. Um, He was giving one of his, uh, what did he talk about, the the fox trilogies. What was it, Life of a Fox or Live Like a Fox or something about foxes? Mm, The fox and their job. Yeah, and you, you highlight the red flags and the green flags and all of that. And he spoke about pockets of excellence in South Africa. Mm. And we took a lot away from that talk about doesn't matter how small we are. 
we have to strive to be a pocket of excellence. It doesn't matter how big the other problems are. If you keep that focus, be a pocket of excellence. Yeah, yeah. No, no, absolutely. Well, Prof. Gavin challenged you to inspire us today and share your thoughts. You certainly have. <laughs> um, inspiration in abundance. Thank you very much for that. And affirmation as well, which is always a very good thing when, when things seem a little tough. So yeah. thank you very much for those words of inspiration and affirmation. Sure, sure. And get that book. It's uh, yeah. uh, le- learning lessons. It's, I've written it down. But we definitely going to hold you to a visit when we pass okay. this, this COVID thing. You're coming to see us, and and I, I would I, love you to be there because I know I know that you'll be blown away by yeah, the absolute vibe me, you have. Which which area are you in again? We're in Four Ways, Four Ways Johannesburg. Oh, we're no, actually no, right no, opposite. Yeah, we're right opposite Four Ways High School. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no Four Ways. Yeah, sure. Okay, you guys stay safe. Thank you all for joining us today for this really interesting and stimulating and affirming conversation about education and eduink. Thank you. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks for having us.